owning a home is still very much the American dream for many people. But in a lot of cases, it is no longer that. People actually prefer the flexibility, but they still want to live in a single family home. And so rental of single family homes is a huge growth driver in the industry. And there is a huge demand for that and a demand for a consistent product. Uh, and so I think that they are filling, they're filling that need. I'm Dylan Lewis, and that's John Ziegler, CEO of Rent, a rental search platform that was acquired by Redfin for $600 million back in 2021. On today's show, we've got two views of the residential real estate landscape. We'll start with Matt Frankel's conversation with Ziegler, where they discussed where rents are cooling off and the areas that are staying hot, why this industry is begging to be disrupted, and the future of build-to-rent housing. Red Path of Rent now uh, recently became a part of Redfin. Redfin acquired you, I think, earlier this year, if I'm not mistaken. How does rent fit into Redfin's ecosystem? And like, in other words, what's changed since the deal is closed, other than your name? Yeah, Redfin acquired the business in April of 2021, so just a little over a year ago. And the thesis behind it really is that Redfin, uh, if you're familiar with it, is is I mean, in our opinion, the best. Uh, certainly consumer experience uh, brokerage site in the market. Uh, and what they want to be able to do is give, give people looking for a home, be able to be relevant in that in every part of the journey. So they already had one of the most visited brokerage websites on the web with over 50 million unique visitors a month. They have a title uh, business, they have a mortgage business. So really call it a one-stop shop of I want to find get a broker. They have, uh, I believe over 6,000 brokers around the US that can actually help me find and purchase my home. I can do the title, I can do the mortgage. But there's a huge segment of people that are either going to be renting and want to buy or rental is how they want to actually go forward. And so what Redfin want to do is be able to hit all of those consumers. And about 20% of people going to Redfin actually ultimately end up renting, whether it's because they can't afford to buy a new home or they ultimately choose not to. So this really fits in with that within that ecosystem. Now we operate very separately as well because we have a pure rental site, or we actually have a, a number of, of rental-focused sites that just do rentals, but we also now power rentals on Redfin. So if you go to the Redfin web or app, you can look for homes to purchase, but you also can look for homes and, and apartments to, to rent. So in, in other, another way of saying it is that by just focusing on home buyers, Redfin was shutting out like 50% of the market, not exactly half and half, but it's somewhere in that ballpark. So it kind of brings them into the, the ecosystem in a, and kind of creates more optionality on the platform, I guess you would say. Well, it does. And it also enables them to build a relationship with people that are renting now, but maybe in five years, they're going to want to purchase, right? So now I've, I've built that relationship. I know more about them and I can put not just the right rental property in front of them when they want to rent, but the right home in front of them when they're ready to buy. And even look at and even look at their options between both. So I wanted to get into just general rental market and, and the housing market and, and stuff like that. But before we do, where do you see rent going from here? Because obviously the past year or so has been very excited for for rent. What what is your kind of long term vision for the company? Where do you see this going in in five ten years? Along with this sort of relaunch of the business, we really see ourselves building more software and solutions to as I say, eliminate friction and increase efficiency and convenience along the renter journey. And that's both for the consumer, for the renter, as well as for the property manager. If you think about 
a rental, you know, transaction and even living, there's two sides of the, of the, you know, there are two parties involved at every point, you know, someone's looking to rent and ultimately becomes a renter. And then there's a property manager, a landowner that is trying to fill a space and then manage that, that person and make sure that their experience is great, that they can, you know, have them stay longer and, 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 you know, and manage that experience for them. Uh, and so what we are really focused on is continuing to build out our software solution through that renter life cycle so that the rent platform is the one that property managers are going to go to, to manage their, their business, to attract and find and manage renters. And that renters similarly look at the rent platform and that rent brand as saying, well, I know that that's going to be an easy experience. I'm going to find the right place. It's going to be easy for me to apply. I'll be screened and I can get in. And that's a, that's a platform that, you know, if they're using the rent platform, that's a place that, that, that I'm going to it's be easier for me to go. There are a few industries in the world more in need of disruption than real estate, which is kind of what, why Redfin and Rent both exist. Um, I mean, I, I'm a rental property owner and literally every part of buying, finding a property manager, finding tenants, managing um, maintenance, things like that. Literally every part of the process is clunky at best. Um, so th there's definitely a lot of room for disruption and I'm, I'm, I'm personally excited to see where you guys take it over the next five, 10 years, which is you know why I asked that question. One thing I'll say is there, there's a lot of technology adoption in the industry right now, a huge amount, uh, as you see in, in every industry that goes at the stage, I think right now where we are in the, in the, particularly the rental industry in terms of technology adoption, is there a ton of, of sort of point solutions that have been coming up? And so people are sort of getting, you know, this solution does this thing and this solution does this thing because I don't want to be on spreadsheets anymore. And where, where we're really focused on is now that we're in that adoption cycle, actually having a single purpose-built platform that does it all versus having to stitch all of those technologies together. Uh, and we think we've seen that analog in a lot of other industries. Uh, my previous company, that's exactly what we did. Uh, and we see the similar opportunity here. Real estate's also one of the biggest markets in the world, in, in, in addition to being one of the most disruptables. And, and speaking of being a big market, it's getting bigger in terms of dollar value very quickly in the past year or two. In the rental market, just looking at your own um, recent report, in the average U.S. market, rent on a two-bedroom apartment is up 26.8% year over year in the United States. Some markets are growing even faster than that. Why has rent gone up so dramatically? I read that inflation is you know eight or nine percent in that ballpark. Why is rent rising so much faster than overall inflation? So first of all, the real rent increases occurred in 2020 and 2021, uh, and that's when the vast majority of them happened. And which had was a perfect storm, right? I had I had a an increase in demand because suddenly not everybody wanted to have a roommate. Okay, so that started. You had a lot of liquidity going into the market through stimulus checks. So I had a, actually a very healthy consumer. And we had historically low, low interest rates as well. And so I had a very healthy consumer, a lot of demand, uh, and people wanted bigger places and wanted to live alone. Uh, and so that really enabled rents to increase along with the demand uh, and go there. We actually have seen since January of 2022, rents overall across the US have only increased about two to 3%. So actually not even keeping up with inflation as inflation's come on. The other thing I will mention that, you know, the story is, is great to talk about the markets like Austin and others where it's up 100% year over year uh, and the overall increases. But if you look behind the numbers, 
The vast majority of the increases in rents have also been in, call it the high-end and more expensive apartments and, and single-family homes. If you look at the lower, call it more affordable apartments, it's actually only increased between five and eight percent in the last in the last two years. So or year over year. So it's not as much as you'd see as you'd think um, if you start to take out those really higher end places. Um, but it is continuing to go up. There's no question. So you mentioned the perfect storm. Now that the perfect storm is starting to pass, if you will, do you see rent prices coming down? Because historically speaking, in both rentals and um, just home prices, things rarely move backwards. It's happened once in my lifetime where home prices have moved down. And that was in the aftermath of the you know 2008, 2009 mortgage uh, meltdown. So do you think higher rent is here to stay or is it a temporary supply demand issue? So we've actually seen rental prices over the past, over the past month have actually come down about 03 to 0.4% nationwide. Uh, what I think we probably will see is that you will see rental prices on average in the upper tiers stabilize where they are, maybe continue to move up just along with inflation. And I think in the lower tiers, which also have not moved up all that appreciably over the past year anyway, I think that's a place where we may actually begin to see pressure uh, because you just don't have as healthy of a consumer. And with the inflation where it is, gas prices where they are, that's a consumer that just cannot afford to absorb a price increase and increasingly may not be able to afford the existing rents where they are. Uh, so it really remains to be seen, but, but we think that there may be some risk there. The one thing I think that will moderate this is that if you look at most of the inventory coming into the market, it's really in the higher end. There have not been nearly as many incentives coming forward for, for, for apartment builders to be building lower end uh, uh, properties and units. And so you are probably going to see you know, a crunch in demand on that lower end where all your supply is coming in the higher end. It's been true in the just in the this uh, new home market as well. It's it, the biggest supply gap is at the lower end and you know entry level homes. When I was looking at your data, where I quoted that figure, rents up you know twenty six point eight percent on a two bedroom. What really stood out to me is the wide range of rent increases, and particularly the fact that rent has actually declined in a few metro areas across the country. That seems like a bigger gap between the highest performing and lowest performing markets than the than even the home home prices. Why, why do you think we've seen such a kind of disparity between different areas of the country? I think a lot of it has to do with, with, with A, you've got a new work from home environment or work from anywhere environment. So people are able to actually move wherever they want to move. And what you've seen is people really moving to kind of two general areas. One is the Sunbelt, which is typically, with, with a number of exceptions, much was much more affordable. So they could get more, uh, they could live in a place that had lower crime, you know, better quality of life. And then we've also seen the large cities that are always going to have a real draw for people like New York. I mean, New York City is back above where it was when we went into the, to the pandemic. And so what you see is people sort of voting with their feet because they don't need to be, be in a certain place for their job. Uh, and, that, and, and, and so some markets where they were there, they can leave uh, and they can go elsewhere. And so you're really going to see a real, a real difference based upon the livability of the city, the affordability of the city, uh, the resources around it, because people are working, we're living where they want to live versus where they have to work. I know you can't really talk too much about, you know, home sales and home prices and things like that. Cause you know, obviously you're the, you're the rental company, but home affordability has gone down and that has played into the rental market. It costs people a lot more to buy a home both on price and on mortgage rates, the average mortgage payment on, on the same home to a year ago 
is up about 70% when you figure the higher cost of the house and the fact that mortgage rates have essentially doubled. So it does play into the rental market a little bit because it's creating people who are priced out of the housing market. Where do you see the housing market going, not just for the rest of 2022, but you can answer that from a more kind of broad perspective. Obviously, you don't have a crystal ball. At least I don't see one on the shelf behind you, but take take a crack at it, I guess. First of all, it's anyone's guess. I think there's some basic basic assumptions or thesis that we can go with though. Uh, you know, we've already seen, you know, an increased number. I don't have the number off, off hand. I think it's 15% or 20% of, of home listings have actually put through a price decrease in the past month. So we're already seeing asking prices coming down. Uh, we do see, we do see mortgage applications coming down as well. So the demand has come off as well as sellers are starting to realize that they're not going to be, they're not going to get 120% of ask as they were before. Prices are already starting to moderate. And as you point out, a lot of that has to do with two things. A, we have you know huge amount of inflation, so people are just not able to afford as much just because everything else is costing more. And at the same time, correlated directly to it, mortgage rates are up significantly. I would say if it's just me betting with a crystal ball, uh, that home prices, uh, particularly in the in the in the middle and lower ends, are going to are going to moderate um, and may even will we'll probably be coming down. By the way, they had a historic increase over the course of the past year. So, you know, whether that's saying the homes are cheap is a whole different, whole different conversation. Right. Um, but I do think you're going to see home prices coming down at the very least moderating um, uh, as they go. It's probably fair to expect a lot of geographic diversions with that as well. And it depends what mortgage rates are going to do too. If mortgage rates went back to 3% overnight, not that that would happen, but if it did, then we'd be having a different conversation. Well, you know, the thing is too, is that cycles go so much faster nowadays. You know, by the time we, we think or we decide we're in a recession, we may be coming out of it. You know, I just, it, that's one of the things is, yeah, we probably are going to see them come down. The question is going to be for how long. Speaking of the housing market, I mentioned earlier a little bit that there's a real supply gap at the lower end of the housing market. Yeah. You know, it's, it's generally not that economical for builders to build you know, starter homes. Uh, I guess you would say there's a big supply problem in housing. Housing starts are, have, since the financial crisis have been at a historically low level and it's created a lot more people who want to buy a house than actually own houses. Um, do you see a housing crisis in the making in the U.S.? We have a, a gap in housing overall. Uh, what, the primary reason being in 2008, when the Great Recession began, you saw housing starts and, and this is multifamily and single family. Uh, dropped to historic lows. It didn't really recover to pre-recession levels until around about 2015. So you've got a six-year gap there of, of just not building enough housing to even keep up. And then in 2020, 2021, we actually got back to where now the housing starts, at least as of, as of six months ago, we're at levels we haven't seen since the mid 80s. Right. But you've got a lot of catch up that we need to that we're going to need to have. So I do think we're going to have um, a housing shortage just as we have, you know, an increasing population and increasing needs. And we're just not keeping up with with the with the demand. It's going to take a while for that issue to work itself out. I think it's not an overnight fix. Absolutely. And then you have the current rates and the current economic instability. You're also going to, you know, whether the builders are going to be willing to extend themselves that much further with an uncertain future is another question. So we may see housing starts a multi-unit, multifamily and single family, you know, begin to moderate as well, which will exasperate the, the problem two years down the road. Speaking of housing starts, one of the biggest trends I've seen is this built to rent housing phenomenon. 
um, in the market. Um, I could just name one one company I follow closely is the Howard Hughes Corporation, um, and they're they're historically a land developer, and they just announced their first ever built to rent housing community. I think it's two hundred sixty homes or something like that. I can name a few other companies that have done the same thing. A lot of private equities going into these built built to rent housing communities. It's a big trend. And it seems like there's just a lot of cash on the sideline wanting to invest in real estate at a time when, you know, private buyers can't afford mortgages right now and things like that. So why has that become such an attractive business model? And is it part of the solution to the housing crisis or is it part of the problem? Do you think? I think it is both part, part of the, you know, it's part, both the poison and the cure. The reason that there's been such an interest in it is the past few years, you've seen you know, historic rises in rents right? You've had effectively free money, very low cost of capital. And so the ability to build and finance these, these, these large pro- and a huge demand, by the way, increase in demand for single family homes, as well as rental of single family homes. Uh, so, so the ability to put capital to work, uh, create a very strong cash flow generating model with a, with a large build to rent uh, single family home community uh, is very very attractive. You know, probably becomes less attractive as the cost of capital increases. But at the same time, the, the investors have a lower cost of capital than the consumer does. I do believe that actually there is a real benefit and there's a place that uh, that the built to rent industry uh, provides. Uh, two things. One is. Uh, they're able to build homes, you know, build homes fast and and at a lower cost of capital. They also can provide, you know, a really good product, a consistent product. If you're talking about an entire community, whereas you know, single and d- double home landlords, you know, that are not necessarily able to keep the level of quality, the service, you know, the plumbers getting there, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think that these professional communities can provide a, a higher level of service in, in a lot of cases. Um, and I think they're also filling, filling a need. You know, renting used to be the thing you did before you bought a home. Uh, and owning a home is still very much the American dream for many people. But in a lot of cases, it is no longer that. People actually prefer the flexibility, but they still want to live in a single family home. And so rental of single family homes is a huge growth driver in the industry. And there is a huge demand for that and a demand for a consistent product. Uh, And so I think that they are filling they're filling that need. And for a look from the home lending side, we have Brandon Snow. He's an executive director at Ally Financial. Motley Fool contributor Mark Rapport interviewed Snow about the cooling housing market and home builder confidence. Black Knight says that home price growth fell by a full percentage point year over year in May. And uh, I think we're going to see more of that you know, going forward, but, but then I'm not in a business. I just read about it. What signs of cooling are you seeing in the housing market? And, you know, any specifics? Yeah. You know, everybody's got a view of where prices go and, and listen, they're up somewhere between 40 and 50% in most you know, call it key metropolitan areas across the country since the start of the pandemic. So that's, I mean, that's a massive number. Um, you know, it's, it's great if you have been a homeowner and you've been able to take advantage, advantage of, of low rates and, and increasing equity position. Uh, obviously, it puts the potential homeowner um, in, in a spot where they need to kind of digest all that and figure out what that means for them. Um, we are seeing not a uh, not a downturn in home prices, but a deceleration of the pace of growth. Right. So we kind of look at things in two ways, year over year. 
and then month over month. So from, say, April to May or May to June, the pace at which home prices are going up is definitely cooling off. They are absolutely still up versus this time last year. So that does have, obviously, an impact on affordability and monthly payment. Um, I think what you're seeing, honestly, Mark, and, and, and this is, uh, you know, our kind of view of the world is, is you're seeing um, a normalization of what has been really historical home price growth. Um, I, I think you are seeing some early signs and I think too, too early to react one way or the other, that market is cooling and kind of this concept of a seller's market versus a buyer's market, which is something we all love to talk about, maybe is normalizing a little bit away from the seller to the buyer. Um, you know, we've seen things like um, more activity and sellers having to drop prices. We've seen things like more activity in the amount of contracts that were canceled, say, in the month of June relative to kind of where that number has been sitting, you know, earlier in the year. I think we saw something like 15 or so percent of, of uh, executed sales contracts to purchase a home were canceled in the month of June. That's that's a, a number that has not been anywhere close to that really over the course of, of the last few years. Um, and then when you couple that with things like consumer sentiment, so the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index is something we kind of all watch and have access to via the news cycle. That touched some lows telling you that we all as consumers are mindful of everything we talked about, the inflationary environment, the global political environment, and that kind of effect on our day-to-day -day lives in, in terms of finances and, and budgeting. And when you roll all that together, um, it does suggest that, that you know, doom is not near, but that the market is softening a little bit relative to where it's been historically. Yeah, the, and you mentioned the University of Michigan. Uh, you know, that's a widely watched, uh, their, their consumer sentiment measure. And I was just looking at the National Association of Home Builders, uh, which is also kind of a, a forward indicator, I guess, that they just recorded the biggest drop in home builder sentiment in the 35 years they've been doing that survey. I mean, what is that a sign of panic or is that just a sign of these build? What does that tell us? Yeah, I, listen, I, I and, and I, I think some some great quotes from the from the president of, of the NAHB around kind of what that means. I, I think it's prudence. Um, I, I think if you if you also can monitor any of the home builder stocks and some of their you know forward looking guidance and, and quarterly earnings that that they're being mindful of some of the things I just mentioned. I think maybe they're faced with something that that us as a lender or a real estate agent maybe isn't faced with, which is rising materials costs. And I know some of that is moderating too, but um, it's gotten more expensive to build a home. Um, obviously they have to be mindful of building homes that people can afford so that they can balance supply and demand. Um, I think no builder would want to find themselves in a similar scenario that they may have seen back in the mid two thousands as, as part of that, you know, particular home crisis. And so um, and I think they're seeing the same trend lines in terms of canceled contracts. And obviously that could leave them in a precarious position. So it's a sentiment index and it, it's a, a measure of the way they're feeling. I, I think some of it is absolutely grounded in some data points we've talked about, but um, I just would expect them to be more measured as we kind of navigate what is uncertainty. Um, I, I think no one can prognosticate for sure kind of which direction we go, but I think we all have a, a view that is generally aligned and, and I think they're just trying to be prudent business operators. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks they talk about and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. 
I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.